Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 6, Episode 14, Mannequin 3, The Reckoning. Let's get this show on the road. have to talk about the fact that this is like a phobic episode for you so like do you want to walk me through that when it comes to mannequins they freak me out and i don't know what it is like i don't have an inciting incident that like suddenly makes like oh that's why i hate mannequins they just give me that like ick feeling being in malls enough i have been like i can walk past a store some stores are worse than others and I think the ones that creep me out the most are the ones that have no features, like the ones in this episode primarily. Um, I will admit, seeing the one in the horrible CG moving kind of made them laughable, so it helped a lot. And funny, I never thought I'd have an issue with the uh, the medical ones, but those eyes. Oh, the eyes on that one. Oh my Found god. I you. Oh. <laughs> But while we're in the housekeeping section, I also need to bring up, on top of the I hate mannequins, another point against them in this week's episode is they killed a bloody Power Ranger. They did? The second death in this episode, the guy working in the the actual factory at night, he played one of the Power Rangers in Ninja Storm, the Navy Ranger. They killed a bloody Power Ranger. Heartbroken. On that note, I'm all good. Okay, I'll count you down (laughs) and you can give us a recap. Three, two, one, reckoning. Fucking mannequins. I, mm, honestly, okay, we, mannequin kills a guy. Of course, the cameras don't work. The brothers get involved. They go, they try to solve the case. There's another murder in town. They think they stopped it when they burned the bones. Surprise, didn't work. This whole time while Sam's basically solving the case uh, and is surprisingly okay and fine with the whole thing, Dean is back home dealing with an emergency from Ben. The emergency being Lisa's going on a third date with some doctor. Again, this is the primary part of our episode we're going to talk about, but the rest of the actual content of the episode, besides the emotional conversation between Dean and Lisa, is Sam was wrong, the dude gets killed by his girlfriend slash mannequin, and his, like, still clearly breathing the entire time he's on camera while dead, it's amazingly funny. It turns out the thing that's being haunted is the sister's, uh, is it liver? It's liver. Kidney. Kidney, sorry. And I'm all excited to see how they're going to resolve this, and the surprise is, oops, possessed baby accidentally kills her, the end. Kind of a lackluster ending for an otherwise really good episode time. I'm just going to go directly into the long game just because it's very short. There isn't going to be that much. Not because this episode doesn't give us like good growth for the brothers, but mostly because we're going to be talking about most of like the really striking moments in story time. Lisa tells Dean that like she knows what she wants, but she can't have it. And believe it or not, this is not the last time that Dean is going to be told something like that by somebody. As I sip my tea. <laughs> Dean tells Ben, just because you love someone doesn't mean you should stick around and screw up their life, which I think we really need to keep in mind for a later season. We also get a really nice and emotional closing montage for like the Ben and Lisa story arc. That made me kind of feel like this might be the last time we see them, at least for a while. It does sound like that. Quickly, I'm of two minds here. One, (laughs) if this is truly their exit of the show, bless, they, they both lived, they... Will they are not forgotten, but they've moved on. Great. Do I expect that to be true? God, no. I'm sure they'll be back 
in some horrible way season uh, uh, 10. The last thing is just that I found that the construction of this episode is really clever because like at around the 30 minute mark, you sort of think that we've reached the end of the episode, but it's not really the end, which is also reflected in something else that we're going to be discussing in a few episodes. As soon as Sam was like, I'm going to go burn the body. I'm like, oh, so that clearly won't work. What's the actual thing? And my brain starts ticking because I go, well, they've done the like heirloom thing or like object so frequently. Like it's got to be something like different. Like either, I don't know, part of me was thinking maybe she took up witchcraft and she's bringing them to life to curse them. Or like, you know, she was a mannequin the whole time. And like, she's also been dead or like, I was expecting something more twisty. Haunted organ was not on my bingo card. And I'm pleasantly surprised by that. Well, let's go talk about this story then. Our theme this week is clarity, which comes from Latin claris, meaning clear, right? Um, Pretty straightforward. It's derived from the old French clarté. And I think what I would like for us to focus on during this discussion is like this idea of brightness and letting the light in, like shedding light, if you will. Let's start with Dean. After last week's like very Sam-centered episode, we have a very Dean-centered episode this week. So I think that it makes sense to start off with him. I think there's a few moments of clarity for Dean in this episode. And the first one is when he's explaining to Sam how like he copes with the past. And he says, you shove it down and you let it out in spurts of violence and alcoholism. And Sam goes, that sounds healthy. And Dean replies, well, works for me. And I genuinely think that that is the most self-reflective thing that we've heard from Dean in a really long time. The second big moment of clarity for Dean, I think, is when he's talking to Lisa and she says that she knows what she wants, but she can't have it. And she asks Dean, like, what he wants. And in that moment, I think Dean realizes that he's never asked himself that question. And to me, this has trauma written all over it. And obviously, like, it probably has to do with the way that, like, with my own baggage, but, like... Traumatized people can have trouble imagining or thinking about like a future and what they want versus like what they have to do in order to subside or just survive, which is what exactly what Dean was saying that he was doing earlier, right? Like spurts of alcoholism and and violence. He's never really stopped to think about like what would he actually want from life. And I know that like personally, I had to reckon with that a few years ago. I reckon, you see what I did? Ha ha ha. <laughs> when I realized that I had never really like taken any step to like build the life that I wanted, I was sort of just like reacting to whatever life was throwing at me. And then even worse, I also realized that I didn't know what I wanted from my life and what I wanted my life to look like. And so how could I even start building it? And that was like a big, anyway, long, very long moment of self-reflection. And I do think that this is, sort of like Dean's moment here of being like, oh crap, I, I I, don't know what I want. So much of life is figuring out what you want and then going for it. And that is 100% not what Dean does. Dean is 100% the, as you pointed out with Lisa in the conversation they had, and it breaks him, is that he's spent his entire life reacting to things and living in the moment, which is a great thing normally, he has no idea what he wants. And I think this is really shown off. I feel like it was in uh, Chris Angel's a douchebag when they're all getting older. And Dean basically says like, if I grow older is a big, if 
you know, Dean talks about growing old if they grow old, he adds, because he's not thinking about what comes next. He assumes there is no next. So to be asked to stop and think about what is next and what do you, not even what is next, what do you want next is something he's never had. I don't want to say the luxury to think about because I think we're all allowed to dream and think and hope and want. In fact, it, we all are. That wasn't, I think I'm declaring that now. <laughs> like everyone deserves that. When you don't grant it to yourself, that is the problem. And Dean has never allowed himself to have that. I'm just going to complicate that a tad bit and say that like, this is an actual thing that is experienced by trauma survivors. Like you really have trouble thinking about like what your life looks like long-term and like imagining your life long-term. So it's, I think that you're not that far off when you say that he hasn't had the luxury to think about that, right? Like it's, this is an actual phenomenon that happens to people who survive trauma. And the last moment that I wanted us to look at together is when Dean is talking to Ben, because they have a really beautiful and incredibly open and moving conversation about why Dean can't or won't stay in Ben and Lisa's life. And I do say can't or won't, because not to be that girl who says if he wanted to, he would, but like... If staying with Ben and Lisa was truly what he wanted most, I think that he would find a way to make it happen. And that conversation ends with Ben saying, like, you say family is so important, but what do you call people who care for you, who love you even when you're being a dick? You know you're walking out on your family, right? And I really think that in this moment, Dean is really hit in like the deep, deep feels because we know that he grew up with an absent father at best and one who would actually abandon him with Sam for days and weeks at a time in motel rooms. And so I think that hearing Ben, who we know and he knows, sees him as a father figure, telling him that he's abandoning his family is like really hard. The line about walking out that really killed me. Ben is such a great foil for Dean. In the sense that Ben really is, like, the adversary to Dean's choices in a way that only a child who looks up to him can be. Ben forces Dean into the role of John, basically, and makes him evaluate his life and his choices through the lens of what it was like for him to see this. Like, Dean's really getting a clear view of what he's doing to Ben because it's what John kind of did to them. He thinks he's protecting Ben by running away, but really he's just repeating his father's sins in abandoning a child who so clearly idolizes and looks up to him. You know, John could have just stopped trying to get revenge and live in the now and be with his children. And Dean has the chance to do that now, to basically do the thing that John never did, which is stop hunting and be a father. He chooses not to. And again, like, I'm not sure that I want to put like a moral judgment on that. Like, because I think that People who are parents against their will or like who stay in relationships against their will, like are not going to be good in that role. And so like, I think that it's probably for everybody's, in everybody's best interest if he's not around, but we can't really just gloss over the fact that he's like abandoning them because I, I do think that that's what's happening. I feel like the Jin episode does this a little bit in the sense of it really kind of shows you the two sides of the coin of he either stops hunting and in his eyes hundreds if not thousands of people suffer because he chose to live with his family that he loves and loves him or he disappoints two people who are likely more safe without him and he goes back to the life that he knows that he can do good in 
even if it's not the life he truly wants and continues to hunt. Like, to him, it's a moral choice, but that isn't fair. And this is kind of like my always base level, like, distrust of Dean. And here's where that comes from. This is going to shock people when I say this, but I don't know that it's truly the moral obligation that keeps him coming back to hunting. I think that it's the habit because he knows nothing else and that's what feels the safest in his life. The moral high ground is his way of excusing it. Justification, that's exactly it. It's the story he tells himself, I think, and other people about what's happening. But I think that the trauma is so deep that he keeps coming back to this unhealthy situation. That's what I think. He admits to his coping mechanism, which I still see him understanding vaguely is not good, but will do it anyways. But this is also a coping mechanism that he does not realize he's doing on purpose and is also not good for him. Ugh! The layers! They're killing me! And I mean, this is just, like, I mean, like, to, to segue to Sam for a second, this is what Sam did last week. He used the guise of doing good, saving this town and getting, you know, closure on a case he failed on, to do what he actually wanted to do, which was do research and learn more about his past. There we had someone intentionally doing the, uh, like, going back to a bad habit, the scratching at the wall he shouldn't be scratching at under the guise of it's for a greater good, whereas Dean does it without the clarity of realizing he's doing it to himself. Ugh. On that note, do you want to talk to me about Sam a bit? I mean, I don't really have that much to say about Sam, like, other than, like, he's there to support Dean the same way that Dean was there to support him last episode. And I think that he brings Dean, like, some clarity, especially at the end. Where he says, like, yeah, this is definitely not a win, but, like, overall, your impact on this world is positive. Because I think that Dean is really questioning that. And Sam is there to balance the scales a little bit and remind him that they do save, save lives and that he has a soul now, all thanks to Dean. Sam inadvertently enabling Dean to go back to his coping mechanism of hunting. And hence the codependent relationship. <laughs> Two things to bring up here with Sam. One, again, it's super strange having two episodes in a row where basically, like, it was virtually a solo episode for the characters, even though Sam was the one on the case and Dean was the one with Lisa and Ben, but the real story was Lisa and Ben. And I think the title of the episode, like, I don't know if there's more to it than, like, they wrote it to, to look like the title of, like, a shitty straight-to-DVD, like, third movie. But it gives the impression of, like, it's one of those things you're only ever going to see on, like, at 2 a.m. on a shitty movie channel kind of movie. Or like the dollar bin at a blockbuster. There's a... But I feel like the main... What should be the main plot, the monster of the week that Sam's dealing with, really is the like straight-to-DVD version of a case. Because it's so like... I mean, yeah, people die and there is a murder and there is a thing. But like the solution's lackluster. It doesn't have any major impact. The story really is the personal life of Dean and, and his dealing with Lisa and Ben. And they're what looks like a final goodbye. We have that weird Sam kind of enabling Dean to continue hunting. We have both of them getting their own kind of time to shine in a way that didn't feel weird or awkward. Just a really good pair of episodes. Like, I really kind of weirdly paired these last two up uh, in a very fun, like, let us really, like, focus in on something with them. 
what a bullshit ending that they just kill the girl in like a freak accident and that's how they solve the case. I have some thoughts about that actually for later. I can wait. We can debate that later because I have I have some thoughts. This episode was written by Eric Carmelo and Nicole Snyder. It was directed by Jeannot Swark and originally aired on February 18th, 2011. Now, for Jeannot, this is his first of five episodes that he's going to be directing for Supernatural, and he has directed basically for every TV series that you can imagine, and he also directed Jaws too. Yeah, so I saw this note, and I was like, oh, someone recently, cough, cough, hint, hint, a few episodes ago, mentioned that IMDb has a tool where you can compare two shows and see who's been on different shows. In going through uh, Jeannot's like movie history, I got to like sort of rabbit hole a bit. And I just need to bring up sheerly for the sake of like timing and how adorable this is. Mark Shepard, again, will be crossing over to another fandom of mine. We recently had him, I had the realization that he was on Firefly and uh, Serenity. He's actually showing up soon in a very, very important Doctor Who episode coming up in my rewatch. And really adorably, uh, he takes, he's a character that exists in the 60s as an ex-FBI agent. Why did he leave the FBI? They did not approve of his partner's skin color or gender. Oh. Queer and interracial. Gotta love him. In the 60s, too. But they eventually meet him again in 2011. Actually, they meet him before that in 2011. Time travel. What can I say? And the older man playing the older version of this character is Mark's dad. Oh, my goodness. That's so funny. That's so cute. Actually, I was going to say only Doctor Who, but maybe Supernatural can also do that. What's in the Hunter's Journal this week? Cursed objects? Sure. I've seen plenty. I feel like I could sing a parody of the opening to Part of Your World. Look at me rambling on. Uh, count yourself lucky I ain't singing and I'm writing to you instead. Um, but maybe a few drinks. We c- uh, no, never mind. Karaoke's not my place. Anyways, every piece tells a story. Usually of loss or hate. Revenge is huge when it comes to these things. Think... Pharaoh's tombs and mummies' curses. People curse things to keep them from being taken or lost or stolen, or people incorrectly attribute their own stupidity to something being cursed. Again, see pharaohs and mummies. Now, now and again, we come across something lucky, like a rabbit's foot or an animal bone that's been blessed. Sure, these may seem great on the surface, but I've heard some terrible tales about rabbit's feet. But I ask you this. Why? Why, in the ever-loving spirit of all that is holy, did someone ever think it was a good idea to give that damn doll the power to get up and walk around? Who curses a doll? And why? Why always the creepiest little Victorian shit dolls? For once, in my hopefully not-so-short life, we'll see, like, you know, not a freaky clown doll in store for me, but instead, I don't know, a possessed plushie or a puppy or something that isn't, you know, preemptive nightmare fuel. I hate dolls. <laughs> so it's sorry. okay. <laughs> Writing is a great way to get out your frustrations and emotions. Do we have any thoughts to share with me this week? Just to kind of like reiterate a little bit what I was saying at the beginning is that I am very conflicted about this episode because like on the one hand, we do get some really amazing Dean development and exploration, which I feel like we hadn't really had in a while. And I was kind of like missing, like there's been a lot of like monster of the week, like kind of silliness. And like just really big drama. But this, so this was kind of a nice, like, 
just exploration of something that we haven't really talked about in a while. We also get a bit of an ending for like Ben and Lisa, and we see how Dean reflects on all of that. The dialogue between the brothers is amazing. The directing is great. The supporting actors are really good. Like overall, very good. But then you have this like monster of the week storyline and resolution that is just about like the goofiest thing that I've ever seen. Like the line, she possesses sex dolls. This is not a sex doll. When talking about the Impala is burnt into my brain just for the implications of it. And I know that like the goofiness is intentionally it's done intentionally, like just looking at the title, like you quickly get the idea. But it's just a lot. And I guess that like knowing that the monster of the week usually mirrors whatever is going on with the brother, then what do we learn from this? Like what do we learn from like what happened and and the end of this poor girl? So I think that the message is that sometimes there are some things that just weren't yours originally that do become a part of you. And for Isabel, it was Rose's kidney. For Dean, it was trauma. And there's no real way of knowing who Dean is without that trauma. It's not a part of him that he can just take out of himself. And I think that that dictates a lot of his behavior. And the episode really focused on Dean, but that's also true of Sam, in my opinion. I don't know how you, if you clocked that during your your, your thought here, but I think it was around the line of uh, often the monster of the week mirrors the brothers. And I was like, Oh yeah, it really didn't mirror them this week. It really because it was also schlocky and jokey. And then I was like, wait, wait, no. Oh god, that's so perfect. Oh, the metaphor. And then like if you really go all the way out, like the only way out is death, which is like really, really fucking morbid. Super dark. Is it weird that that almost makes the episode better to me now? I mean, the thing is, I completely disagree with like the only way out is death. Um <laughs> But I think the implication, like, that this is what we're supposed to gleam as, like, a potential future, that, like, at some point you realize this thing that's inside you can't be fixed and you have to, like, go out, essentially. You shouldn't. That's not right. It's a bad message. But I like it as, like, something that could be taken away from this and the idea that Sam or Dean could read that in the situation. The original idea, which was, like, to try, like, hoodoo and this and that and, like, other things, like, to me seemed like a more realistic, I mean, I'm going to say grounded talking about hoodoo, but, like, uh, grounded in reality in the sense of, like, if we're going with that metaphor that, like, usually when you do have trauma, then you do try things in order to live well and, 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 and heal in your own way. You can never really get rid of it, but you can thrive. And so I, I, you know, in a way I was hoping that that, like the ideal message would have been that. I don't think that Supernatural cares enough in order to do that. And so that's why we got this ending. A TV show or movie tries something like this and kind of drops the ball. And then down the road, somebody kind of picks it up and tries again, like a spiritual successor almost, or like reusing the bit of like, what if you received an organ that was haunted? Like, make a short film out of that and like really explore like, what are the solutions? What are the options? Because I think that I think that could be such an incredibly cool story, but there's no way they could have done it justice. I don't know what their thought process was. Other than just she has to die, I guess. 
I mean, that's the thing. I think it also adds, I mean, it had to add like to the man pain of the brothers, right? And so I think that that's also like this very casual brand of misogyny here. Um, so, you know, again, which is typical of Supernatural. So, I, I mean, this is not surprising to me in any way, shape or form. It's, you know, it is what it is. Um, on the bright side, there are some storylines that were really botched in some early seasons that are going to be picked back up in later seasons of Supernatural. And we're going to see just a more developed arc for those things, which I think is going to be really interesting. The self-awareness to realize you like had something good and didn't do it well, and then finding a somewhat lore accurate canonical way to like revisit it and try it again. The the thing to keep in mind also is like how much um turnover there was in the writers' room. Like there basically most of the writers who started are not there at the end, right? And so there's this huge amount of turnover over the years that means that like people are basically basing the work that they're doing on the work of other people and the, interpreted through their own lens and through the lens of the public and then written back to and you know so there's this huge feedback loop on 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 shows that are this this long basically well that's like one of the really weird things ha that's happening now in the simpsons like it's a weird segue where like there's like this common thing of like oh the simpsons was really good really from seasons like it's argued two through four but somewhere in the early seasons until like season 15 16 i think people go up to 19 sometimes and then it really falls off and like i'm a simpsons purist i'll watch any of it but i admit that it did get worse and then we're now at a point where people who watch the show who were in that mindset because they were kids who grew up in that generation that i am in and like have seen kind of the fall and realized like on a very critical level, what was missing that made the original so special. They're now the ones writing for the show. So it's like re reburned its spark, like a really weird Phoenix from the ashes of a bunch of burnt up donuts. So like, there's been some really surprisingly good episodes recently. They've like, they fixed their formula and it just, I'm, I'll be interested to see when we hit the end of supernatural, those last few seasons. And I know the ending is very fraught with uh, issues from every angle. But I'll be curious to see like the rest of seasons 14 and 15 where we're getting writers who probably were fans of the show when it first aired and are now writing for it and see how that affects things. Let's go listen to what our community has to say. This week we have a message from Rihanna. Before we listen to it, we wanted to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Mary and I will be answering the question. Last week, we talked about Sam's hot girl summer. What would Dean's hot girl summer look like? For our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk, stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Hey guys, this is Rihanna. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I found it a couple weeks ago. I have been binging it ever since. I'm so obsessed. Thank you for making it. But I thought I would participate and send a message about how Dean kind of helped me leave religion. Uh, but I was raised in like cult adjacent religious extremism. Uh, I was never put in school like ever. Uh, only allowed to wear skirts and dresses. My parents were very strict, uh, very fond of spare the rod, spoil the child. But basically um, I was kind of raised bare bones in a similar way to Dean with a very domineering parent, a very domineering Christ God figure. Um, 
in a really strictly kind of controlled environment that permeates everything, like every decision, everything you do, where they live, who they talk to, what school. I mean, everything was dictated by their father in their hunter lifestyle. And I found Supernatural around 15 or so, which is when I really started to question things. I was an embarrassing age when I realized that people, some people didn't believe in God. I thought it was like a given. I didn't know you weren't allowed to, or you were allowed to not believe in God. I didn't realize that was an option. Um, and I, when I started watching that, I really found kinship with Dean in that regard where his, from the moment he was four, like his entire life was this and his only like belief was his dad and his dad dictated everything and they're like if you remember when he takes that when they get that first phone call from John in the first season and Dean takes a phone from Sam and he listens to whatever his dad is saying and he just says yes sir like he's so deadpan there's no emotion in his voice on his face there's no question which is what it's like like you're so conditioned there is no option like you just yes sir that is what you do it is yes sir um but throughout that first season, like towards the end of it, and especially in the second and third, you start to see him um, kind of question and maybe like wonder, is is my dad good? Is my dad a good man? Um, was he right? And that's terrifying when you're raised so strictly and not given an option to believe anything else. Um, and so away from the world to start poking at that is so terrifying because the ramifications are huge. Like, you know, he has those fights with Sam about their childhood because if he admits Sam's abuse, does he not then have to admit his own? Um, if his dad was wrong in this regard, what else is he wrong in? And it just pulls a rug out from under you and it's so much easier to just keep being a good little soldier and going just going along. And it takes a lot of courage and bravery um, to get through that and come out the other side. And I think he doesn't always deal with it in a very healthy way, but I think he does face that. And I think eventually Dean does get to the point where he can see his dad truthfully he can see his childhood truthfully and he not not to excuse his past in any way but he finds a way to just make peace with it and move on which was just so helpful for me as a teenager I just I really just was able to see that and kind of incorporate it in my own life and it was just so good like it was so helpful for me to have Dean in that regard and I know that you've talked about John being like a Christ figure. So I just thought I would kind of throw my two cents in um, and leave you with this quote. So I'm going a little bit over three minutes, but it's from Nicola Yoon, the book, The Sun is Also a Star. And she says, growing up and seeing your parents' flaws is like losing your religion. I don't believe in God anymore. I don't believe in my father either. But on that note, I'm going to let y'all go. Hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you again. Uh, bye. Rihanna, I don't often get like choked up by voicemails, uh, but this one got me. <laughs> I'm not sure why. Maybe there's something else going on. Just first well, first off, thank you. Welcome to Carrying Wayward. <laughs> so glad that you found us. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time to send us uh, this voicemail. I'm just amazed at how many people like find kinship with Dean Winchester. I think that there's something about him that is quintessentially American, North American, but also quintessentially human. Because like, you know, it's so funny because I think when he created these characters, Eric Kripke had in mind like, oh, we're going to make good old American dudes. And he did, but really not in the way that he thought he did. You know, what we're seeing of Dean and, and his journey through life in these 15 seasons 
can be looked at in so many different ways and through so many different lenses. And just because of our own background, Drew and I really focus on the queerness aspect of it, but there's this whole like religious aspect, military aspect that could also be looked into, like the cultural uh, understanding of American, like the understanding of American culture. Like I I think that there would be so many ways to, to look at this and, and there's no way that we can do all of it, but thank you so much for bringing that to the table for us. Thank you. This was an amazing voicemail. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. It still tickles me a bit when we get a listener who's like, I just found the show and it's like, oh, you're listening to like little us from like two years yes, ago when you were babies. Three years ago, dude. Three years ago, oh my God. I know. <laughs> We've been doing this for three years, man. <laughs> I can't, I, it still shocks me. And then like the bonus of like, you know, like as you listen through, you're going to come across this episode and be like, oh, my voicemail. And I'm so excited for that because I think it's such a fun little moment in the show. This was amazing. I love this. I loved, I love hearing that. Um, I also just now love cult adjacent as a term I'll be throwing around regularly because that's amazing. But like having those realizations, like that's tough. I've never had to go through something like that, but like I can only imagine how hard it must be to be shown one thing for so long to the point where you think, like you said, believing in God is the default. Everyone does it. And to then have a worldview shifted because something you were taught wasn't right. And then being able to critically think and finding ways to explore that, whether that be through anything. And in this case, Dean specifically, I think is so amazing. And I I loved hearing it. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. I think it's also, it also bears keeping in mind, like how long it takes Dean to get there. Because uh, I think I know what you were referring to, Rihanna, when he says that, like, it, w- when when Dean says that, like, he is, he makes peace with his past. Um, and it takes, it takes upward of a decade for him to be able to really unpack that from the moment that he starts deconstructing it in past his mid-20s, in his late 20s. I don't know. I guess I just, I want to emphasize, like, the time aspect of this process and how I guess it's always a work in progress. Stuff takes time. Let's go reflect. Let's. In my brain, this is one of those lines where just like all I can picture is Shia LaBeouf. You've seen that viral video of him, the just do it thing that we're just screaming in front of a green screen, a bunch of nonsense. In this scenario, though it is a crazy nonsense him yelling at the viewer, the thing he's trying to hammer home is just go for it sometimes. And I had to embody that a bit today because sometimes, like we saw in the episode today, it just takes that, like, you just have to go for it sometimes. Like, you know, yes, Dean could stop hunting and could choose the life of living with Lisa and Ben. It really just comes down to saying, this is what I want and I am going to do what it takes to get there. That's not easy. It's one thing to say it. I am very proud of myself today. I had a decision. I decided I wanted something to happen. So I took some actions that might in the future require some apologies to um, unstick. Nothing to you. Nothing for the, oh, it's for the benefit of the show, but nothing that will affect the show. Uh, I might just have to apologize to two people later on. But the result is going to be positive for everyone because I took an action So at the end of the day, the worst possibility is rejection, which sucks. Rejection is terrible and I hate it, but I would rather be rejected for something than not not have ever tried doing it. FOMO is worse. 
So very, like, literally, I did a thing today, and I'm hoping these actions pay off. And if they don't, at least I tried. But I saw what I wanted, I built a plan, and I put it into action. That is my reflection of my call to action. Literally, action called and done. What would you have to reflect upon this week? Well, I think what was most striking to me in this episode is like how dedicated Dean is like to opacity at the beginning. And if I can channel my inner Jasper, I would almost say that he was dedicated to obfuscating his past. Um, And there's something like incredibly relatable about him not being able to answer Lisa when she asks him what he wants and then not being able to answer Ben when he tells him that like he sees Dean's behavior as abandonment. Like he's so focused on not thinking about this that he never thought about like these seemingly really basic things. So I feel called to reflect on myself, especially the parts that I try to obfuscate specifically in order to better my relationships with others. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Marie Vigoureau and myself, Drew Shulman. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, Katira, Elle, and Jeremiah Thomas. This week, we'd like to thank Rihanna for their message. You can find the links to all our social media and our merch store at carryingwayward.com, and don't forget to leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to us. If you like Carrying Wayward and you'd like to support us in our project to go through all 15 seasons of Supernatural, you can support us through Coffee or Patreon, and you can find those links at CarryingWayward.com. Carry on our Wayward friends! I'm gonna go with the premise of if, if Sam is back in school, so they're a little younger and Dean is on his own, I feel like Dean would do, like, the great American road trip of like, he would pick a bunch of cities to go hit and like, of course, solve a case every here and there. And like, but he'd have like a list of like, I feel like almost as cheesy as like hard rock cafes to go hit and see like movie props and shit. But he'd be like, I have to get to like this small town in like Oklahoma that no one ever goes to because they have a gas station where like, this famous car race took place and the license plate from this car from this movie's there and I need to go see it. And just like the kind of thing I would try to drag my wife to that she would try to, that she would go to begrudgingly for me, but he has no one to hold him back so we can just go and have fun. That is, that is hot girl Dean Summer. <laughs>